Hello and welcome to the Locust and Honey podcast. We are two Reformed Southern Baptists who desire to speak the truth of the gospel to the heart of the culture. We are also proud members of the Bar Network, which stands for Biblical and Reformed Network. If you would like to support our growing podcast, you can do so several ways. One, you can leave us a comment and share our podcast on your social media. Two, you can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And three, you can follow the link in our show notes to find all of the other ways that you can support us and connect with us. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God and of instruction about washing and laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead and the eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted of the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted of the goodness of the word of God and the power of the age to come, and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance, since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him in contempt. For the land that has drunk of the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God, but if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed, and its end is to be burned." Hebrews 6, 1 through 8. Well, hello and welcome back to the Locust Honey Podcast. My name is Matt. And I'm Andrew. And this is episode 48. Join us as we discuss the man in the iron cage. Mm. Andrew. Yes. Did you have a good holiday season? I did. Did you have a Merry Christmas? I did. Did you have a happy Christmas? I did. And a happy new year? Yes. Awesome. What's the coolest thing you got for Christmas? The coolest thing I got for Christmas... Well, I'm. I, this would be a good segue. Um, I got a book called The Pilgrim's Progress. The Pilgrim's Progress. Yes, I like it. Let's uh, put this on pause, though. Oh, okay. And you end affirmations and denials with that. Okay. Because that'll be a really good segue. All right. Yeah, it would be. But we can't get our segue moving too fast, or we'll run right off a cliff. That's true. So, um, so you got some books. What else did you get? Anything? I got super cool. Yeah, I got a, a gym bag for my wife. A gym got bag? Some new clothes. Gym bag. Ah. Yeah. I like it. Um, yeah, so it was good. It's good to sp- spend time with everybody. And um, yeah, what'd you get? Uh, I got a pair of Ariat boots that I'm happy about. Yeah? Yeah. Oh, I also got a pair of work boots. Whoa. Yeah. Look at you. I was happy about that too. I get like you feel more manly today. I know. When you walked in, you had like the stubble going and yeah. like you own work boots. And I was like, man, like I can feel the masculinity. I got this hoodie that I'm wearing that's nice and green. Uh, it is. Manly, manly color of green. Man. Yeah. Watch out. Look out. I like it. Well, cool. Uh, so yeah, we we have been on hiatus. We did um we had Christmas and then New Year's, and this is our first episode of 2023. Mm. Oh. Yay, 2023. 
2023 also, is starting off with a bang, bro. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, I also got an upper respiratory infection for Christmas, so that was fun. Oh, that is cool. Yeah. All right. So that's part of the reason for the hiatus. That's true. Today, I can finally speak Yeah. without going into a full-blown cough attack. Well, good. If Even you though do, I might. Just drink your tea. <laughs> I, might. I might at some point, so if I do, bear with me. <laughs> but yeah, so this is our... our um, our first episode of 2023. Um, we've had Christmas. And we did a Christmas episode. Um, truthfully, Christmas is every Sunday. Mm. We celebrate God becoming flesh and dwelling among us. Um, and then we also celebrate Easter every Sunday in that he lived a perfect life. He died on the cross for our sins. He was slain. And he conquered sin, death, and the grave. The sacrifice was acceptable. He rose from the dead. And those of us that are in him will defeat death just as he did. Um, and so, uh, but it's also good to have a time each year where the culture is celebrating something that they call Christmas and being able to point that back to the gospel. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of opportunity to talk about the gospel during the holidays here in America. Uh, there's a lot of things that people do out of tradition, but it, it provides a lot of opportunity to point back to Christ. Uh, we kind of talked about Advent, which is what we like to do, which is having a season of looking at um, the first coming of Jesus and the anticipation and the struggle and all of that. Uh, and then looking at where we at, where we are at. Where we at. <laughs> <laughs> looking at where we are at uh, for the anticipation and the struggle and the the fight, um, getting to the second coming of Christ when the day of judgment will happen. Um, from there, I go to the new year. Did you make any resolutions? Uh, well, first, what are your thoughts I mean, on resolutions? I think some people hate them and some people love them. Yeah. What's your biblical take? I think they can be great. I mean, it, 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 you know, you have a point in time where you can say, okay, like today is a good day for me, which this is where it can be bad, but you can say, okay, today is a good day for me to be resolved to do blah, you know, do something yeah. or not do something for the sake of the glory of God. Um, and, and in that, you know, be resolved to, to look more like Christ in some way. Yeah. Um, but then also the downside is, is that, well, really you, you don't have to wait for New Year's to do that. Right. Um, and also it, as far as resolutions go, a lot of people's resolutions just are dumb. Right. You know, so it's like, uh, I don't know. They can be good, but right. you know. So yeah, there's a call for Christians to know where we're at and then know how to, look more like Christ, mm -hmm. right? There's a call for self-reflection, not on um, like meditation and all that stuff, but to actually assess, okay, this past year, where did I succeed in following Christ and what were my struggles and how can I right. uh, use God's word and God's people to help um, my struggles become more in the image of Christ? And so I affirm them uh, for that reason, right? Which I just—I guess that can be my affirmation. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I I affirm 
resolutions resolving to do things in, in that sense. So like if my resolution is, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to go to the gym for the first four weeks of the new year. Yeah. Um, I, that's whatever you want to do. Uh, right. <laughs> I'm going to be paleo for like right. two months and then burn out and, uh, just gorge myself afterwards. Um, but if your resolutions are, you're, I, I like, have you ever read Jonathan Edwards re- resolves? He's got like, I have, well, I haven't read them, but I've, yeah, I know last what you're talking year, about. Yeah. I, I read them to the youth group. Yeah. Um, but like, that's my point. Like if I'm resolving to do these things that I'm, I'm reflecting on how can I look more like Christ mm-hmm. this next year? And I've got those as like my target of what I'm striving for, which is ultimately Christ, right? Like Christ is the target and I want to look more like him. And so where did I miss the mark and how can I better uh, fix my aim on him? Yeah. Then, then I affirm resolutions in that sense. But um, did you have any outstanding resolutions or resolves for this year? Uh, and if not, that's okay. For for twenty twenty three, sure, or twenty twenty two. Well, this upcoming year. Oh, um, I mean, mine is. I've talked about it before, but it's more so like a four, a five, four to five year thing. Like talked yeah. about, you know, I'm twenty five, going to be twenty six this coming year, and um, by the time I'm thirty, I want to look like this, right? You know, um, so that that's kind of it. It's just kind of a, a continuation of that. Um, one thing I would like to try and start doing is trying to read the Bible in a year. Yeah. Like every year. Um, I'm, you know, finishing it up right now, reading through the whole thing for the first time. Right. And, you know, I think because it took me, I guess, so long to do that, <laughs> it's kind of one of those things where, like, you know, I, I'm finishing it up, but like the stuff that I read from like Deuteronomy was so long ago, right? That it's like, so I want to try and and do do that in a shorter period of time. You know, maybe a year to read through mm-hmm. the whole thing and just do that every year. Um, so I want to try and start and do start doing that maybe this year, but I have to finish finish the finish it first, <laughs> right? So um, yeah, that's well, about cool. it. Yeah, I like it. Um, all right, so deny something for me. Um, I'm going to deny two things. One, I'm going to deny this thing called post-nasal drip, which is what I'm dealing mm. with right now. Boy, is that I'll like a, a woke thing? No. Oh, okay. Drip. <laughs> no. My nose has that drip, bro. <laughs> no, post-nasal drip is basically where you got drainage in your head, and it goes... it Drainage always trickles down your throat like even when you're not sick that's just what happens i was kidding you don't have to describe post-nasal drip oh no i will because it's 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 gross it's gross but you know what this is why it's terrible so that's what's happening to me right now i've got a lot of drainage going down from my head down into my and it'll go down into my lungs and then i have to Mm. cough it up the problem is is that a lot of times like it 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 doesn't like it's not actually drainage that's doing that. A lot of times it's just something that is causing my cough, like, reflex to cough. And so I'll just be coughing and coughing and coughing, 
and none of it's productive at all. So anyway, post-nasal drip, that's what I'm dealing with right now. It is terrible. Can't stand it. Um, I'll deny it. But <clears throat> the other thing that I would like to deny that's been on my heart lately has been, um, I guess you can call it the the demasculization of Christianity in America and okay. specifically, um, well, I mean, that is pretty specific, but <laughs> specifically like, you know, how men ought to um, interact with one another and with women. Okay. So um, <clears throat> one of the things that has happened and, and, um, the reason this is on my mind is because in in our college and career class, we're talking about marriage right now. And as a young married person who has only been married for, for two years, um, even in those two years, these things that I'm talking about have kind of been brought to light. The rom-com idea of what a man is and how a man should act yeah. is not reality. No. And the problem is that that has seeped its way into Christian thought. It seeped its way into Christian books, yeah. seeped its way into the minds of Christian women, young women who are looking for husbands, that that is what it should look like. The problem is that is not real. That's right. not true. Well, it's it's the, it's, <clears throat> so I call it, and I think I got this from Doug Wilson, but it's emotional porn. Mm -hmm. You know, men in our generation and culture struggle with actual porn addiction and that demasculates them women struggle with emotional porn which is like the whole rom-com right you know this effeminate male and that's how they define what love is and what their future spouse should look like mm -hmm. but it's just emotional porn it's not real either um, right and and so they're desiring something that's not a biblical masculine <laughs> male they're desiring um this emotional porn and then they're taking that to real life yeah. and saying, well, this is what I had in my head of what my husband should look and act like. Right. And, and you don't, but and, that, so, yeah. And so then as a result, you've got young men who are coming up and they're saying, okay, I want to attract a young woman. I want to get married. I want to, you know, attract a young woman. And so if that's what the young women are seeking, then that's what the young men are going to try and be. That's just how it is. And mm -hmm. so it's like, then you've got a chain reaction of now you've got young men who are abdicating their masculine traits, but that they're thinking that that's what that's that's what they need to do. Right. You know what I mean? It's and that not, leads to more problems, right? And the then marriage. that leads yes. And so, um, anyways, that kind of whole thing has been that whole disconnect has been on my brain a lot because um, you know we're going through. I think last week we talked about what a biblical husband. Uh, is supposed to look like. And now this week we're going to talk about biblical wives and um, it's just become a mess in, in yeah. the church as far as how we view that. And uh, it's kind of, we should, we should do an episode on it soon. I've yeah. Got a, a marriage retreat that I'm leading uh, coming up in the near future. And so mm -hmm. we'll have both thought through it. So maybe we can do an episode on that. Yeah. So that's my, that's my deep denial for the day. I like it. All right, so uh, give me your affirmation, and let's roll into the episode. Okay. My affirmation is... I hey, what I get you for Christmas this year? 
Okay. First though, I'd be remiss if I did not mention the dogs just won sixty-five to seven. That is over true. the frogs. Whew. Yeah, I'll that affirm a, that. A big game. That was something. So Georgia Bulldogs, national champions back to back, in <clears throat> an embarrassing way. If mm. you're a Texas Christian fan, <laughs> if you're. T- if you're a Texas Christian. <laughs> a Texas Christian TCU. Uh, yeah. Sam. Anyway. Uh, yep. Yeah, there's that. I wanted to I wanted to throw that out there. Go dogs. Also, my real affirmation though, the Pilgrim's Progress. What I, I get you for book. Christmas. The, Matt got me the Pilgrim's Progress. And you also got yourself. And I also got myself. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. I also got myself the the Pilgrim's Progress because I was buying a book for my wife and uh, and so Matt got me this one, and so I ended up getting giving the one that I bought to my father-in-law. Nice. So I don't know. Maybe he'll read it, and we can talk about that too. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I am, like, I am flying through this thing yeah. for, for me anyways. It's been, like, two weeks since I've started reading it, and I'm like, <clears throat> that's right, it's not flying. <laughs> but I'm, like, I'm a good chunk through it, and it's that's yeah. a that's a good that's a good pace for me. Um, like halfway through, yeah. yeah. So, I love Pilgrim's Progress. It's one yeah. of those books uh, I I read it every year. Um, and a little tidbit of information. Um, so John Bunyan wrote Pilgrim's Progress, and it is the most sold book other than the Bible in history. Yeah, uh, and I think for good reason. So it's not scripture, uh, but it is a good companion to God's word. Um, we need to be in God's word. It is the power of God unto salvation. It is our schoolmaster. It is all of those things. It is the word of God. Um, and and so I'm, I'm not saying that we don't need to be in that, but it Pilgrim's Progress is a good companion to scripture. Um, I enjoy reading it every year. It's an allegory of the Christian walk and it's very insightful and very helpful. Uh, so I would, I would recommend reading that. I've been getting several people to read it. And, um, so Andrew was reading it and I was just asking him if he had any thoughts or questions on it. And you had one. Yes. Um, pray tell. Yeah. The guy in... The cage. So at what point um, Christian is walking and he comes to this. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Oh, he comes to this um, like man who's very wise. He's like a, he's like a, people have been talking about him. He's this much anticipated guy that Christian meets. The interpreter. The interpreter. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, the interpreter takes him into this building and shows him all of these rooms of different things. And each room has got like clear symbolic stuff going on. I think probably yeah. my favorite one is the room with the dust in it. Yeah. That, you know, um, I'm trying to think through, like that I'm trying to think through the details of it. I've got them, but we'll, we'll, yeah. we'll get in there. Um, I like that one and I like the fireplace. Yeah. That was good, too. I like that one. Uh, but the one room that, that confused me was the guy in the iron cage. Um, the sixth room. The sixth room. And I don't know if you want me to say why it confused me or if you want to. No, yeah, go ahead. Okay, so it confuses me because 
Christian goes up to this guy and he he talks about him about his condition. Yeah, and uh, basically the the guy has said that he he has no hope in Christ now, um, at all, and he at one point did. Yeah, but he never actually turned to Christ. He never actually repented of his sin, and so now he doesn't. The question that that spawned for me was. Did the guy ever actually have hope in Christ? Right. Um, because Scripture says that we are dead in our sins and trespasses, but then, but Christ has made us alive together, or but God has made us alive together with Christ. Yeah. And so, it's kind of either one of those things where it's one or the other. You are alive in Christ, or you're not. It's not necessarily you can be alive in Christ, but then you then you die again. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um. And so that that's what that's what confused me. That was my question. Yeah, that I asked at Mo's. <laughs> so, um, and and I I told Andrew I was like, okay, let's put a pin in this because this will be a good uh, podcast episode. And um, so I'm going to kind of give some background for the listener that might not have read Pilgrim's Progress yet. If you have not, I would recommend getting a copy of it. Um, to get the updated version, it's pretty easy to, to read through and understand. And um, I'm going to be pulling pretty heavy from uh, Derek Thomas in what I'm saying with this. Um, Ligonier Ministries, which is R.C. Sproul's ministry, a couple years back, they did uh, a, a series where Derek Thomas kind of went through Pilgrim's Progress. And I was already reading through the book. Um, I'd started this a couple years prior. I was already reading through the book and I had some questions and some things that I really got and grasped and liked. And, but then Derek Thomas did a, just a walk through Pilgrim's Progress. And I was like, man, that is awesome. And mm-hmm. so I bought it. It was like 30 bucks uh, for the 12 or 18 part series. Um, but so um, some of that stuff is, is is coming from Derek and then some of that's just coming from everything. But the man in the iron cage is a, is a really um, like jarring and alarming thing. Mm-hmm. It's it's probably one of the things that sticks out the most to people that read it that are like, okay, wait a second, like this is mm-hmm. this is alarming. But um, so Pilgrim's Progress for those that have not read it, John Bunyan wrote it. He was a Puritan uh, pastor, and he was in prison in England. Um, this was, you know, you, you had, when you had the reformation going on, um, reformations blowing up everywhere. And then the King of England had a problem with it though, because it kind of usurped some of his power. So he wanted to create his own religion and in doing so that caused a big rift between the reformers, um, and the Puritans and then the crown. And, um, so in that, John Bunyan gets arrested for, I think it's like eight or 12 years. I don't remember which exactly, hmm. but it's a while. And while he's arrested, he writes The Pilgrim's Progress. And he wrote it in allegory, uh, one, so that he didn't get in trouble, but then two, um, well, I mean, maybe just one. <laughs> but uh, so he writes this allegory, and it's about this guy named Christian, and he is on this journey. He's in a city of destruction. And he realizes it uh, when this guy named Evangelist comes, gives him this like track. 
and um, he learns about the king and wants to get there. He realizes he's under this heavy burden and that everybody in his city is going to be destroyed. Um, so he, he starts this journey to get to the celestial city, the city of the king, and the pilgrim's progress is his journey from the city of destruction to the celestial city. And there is a lot of um, things that he goes through, a lot of distractions, a lot of um, different things, but it's a, it's a very good uh, allegory of the Christian walk. And so I, I recommend people to read it. Um, so where we're at in the story uh, with the interpreter's house is uh, Christian has realized his burden. Uh, he's seen the truth and he is leaving the city of destruction. Uh, he needs to get through the wicked gate that gets you on the path to um, the celestial city. And so he's just entered the wicked gate. Uh, he was pulled through by, um, oh, who was it? It was not. It was uh, an angel, wasn't it? Well, it was It was one of these helpers. There's several. Um, Evangelist is one of the helpers, but then there's like Goodwill. I don't remember the guy's name, but uh, it's, it's one of these helpers like Evangelist that's helping him along this journey, mm. and he pulls him through the wicked gate. Um, right after that, uh, pretty soon after that, he meets the interpreter and then comes to the interpreter's house. Um, Alexander White has said that every minister of the gospel is an interpreter and every church is an interpreter's house. And so as John Bunyan is writing this, uh, his, his understanding is the interpreter is a minister of the gospel. The interpreter's house is uh, a church. And uh, the church has a responsibility to teach those recently brought in through the wicket gate. So um, the way that the Puritans would have seen this, the way that John Bunyan would have seen coming to faith in Christ and, and this journey to um, the celestial city would have been um, when you have a, a somebody who's just come in the wicket gate, somebody who's just... Um, started coming to church and, and they've just started to hear the gospel and they realize that burden and they're seeking after the Lord. Um, it's a preparation for the battles to come. Um, one of the things that the Puritans really understood is that the Christian life is a battle. And we're going to see that more, especially as we start going through the rooms of the interpreter's house. But, um, the purpose of the interpreter's house is to prepare those going on this journey to to prepare them for for the trials and the battles that are going to come. Uh, a lot of people today in our current culture, uh, we're very soft, we're very uh, weak and timid. But uh, part of that is um, we are not looking for battles. You know, uh, we want to avoid battles. And um, but the Christian walk is a battle, and and so we're gonna we're gonna see that. But that's kind of what the interpreter's house is in the interpreter's house. There's seven rooms and the interpreter takes him from room to room. He looks in the different rooms and kind of interacts in them. And so I'm going to go through the seven rooms. Um, some of them will kind of breeze through, but, um, we're going to spend a lot of time on the sixth room and then, uh, a little bit of time talking about the seventh room as well. But, um, 
so the first room he comes into, he walks in, sees a picture on the wall, and it's this weathered man standing there. He's got uh, God's word in his hand and the gospel on his lips. He's got this like gold crown above his head, and he's looking upward. And then behind him is kind of like this battle scene. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, but that that the picture room, uh, <clears throat> it's representative of the typical Puritan pastor during that day. Um, it's this man who is, um, he's seen his fair share of battles and he's still this person who has God's word, uh, on his heart and on his lips. And, um, think of like a, a general of, of like Mm -hmm. old, you know, everybody's looking to him and aspiring to follow him. Like, um, George Washington on the horse. Right, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, but but he's he's looking to heaven. He's following Christ and leading other people that are following him. So it's this uh, it's this typical Puritan pastor. Uh, the next room that he goes into, the second room, I call it the broom room. Uh, but he goes in and he sees this person that's sweeping, and uh, the room's full of dust. And as he watches this person that they're sweeping. Uh, the dust then settles in other parts of the room. So he's just constantly working, constantly sweeping, but all that's doing is kicking up the dust and his work is never done. Uh, Then I think this little girl comes in with water and sprinkles water over the room. It collects the dust and he's able to sweep it up and Mm -hmm. get rid of it. Um, The law stirs and the water of the gospel cleanses. So, like, if you think about churches today, there's a lot of people that are working, um, but they're they're. If you're not working for the gospel, right? Like, if the gospel is not the center of everything, then what we're doing is in vain. So, if I'm doing things in my strength, um, I'm really good at blah blah blah. So, I'm going to try to do this for the kingdom, you know? Right. Uh, but if I'm not doing that for the, the, the cleansing power of the gospel to go forth, then I'm just kicking up a bunch of dust, you know? And, um, when you look at most churches, you have a lot of people that are doing that. Uh, if you look at most churches, you, you see a lot of ministries in those churches that are doing that. Um, me and you were kind of talking about, uh, a book called family driven faith and it kind of points on that, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, so we're going to delve into that more later, but that's what this room is. Um, and, and what John Bunyan's trying to get us to see is that the law, it does stir up, you know, um, when you come to faith in Christ and you read God's word and you read God's law, you're like, man, like there's so much clutter in my life now. Right. Like, there's so many things that I am guilty of. Um, and, and so it just stirs and it kicks up all this dust, but the water of the gospel is what cleanses us. And, um, and so that's just a really cool, uh, thing. All right. Third room. So you've got the two toddlers, reason and patience, and reason is the world, um, and reason wants everything immediately. Um, there's no thought of anything other than right now and what I want and my desire and acting on my desires. And then you've got patience, and patience is representative of the kingdom and somebody who is kingdom-minded and kingdom-focused and and more willing to wait and suffer through things now for uh, having everything eternally. And, uh, so you've got those two reason and patience fourth room. 
is the fireplace. He walks in, sees this fireplace. There's this big fire uh, in the fireplace, and kind of as his eyes shift to the fireplace, he notices uh, that there's this person tossing water on the fire, but the fire's continuing to flame. And then as he goes around the back of the fireplace, he sees another person pouring oil onto the fire. Mm. And um, I really like that one because what, it, what, what we're seeing there is that there will always be water tossed on zeal. Um, if you think about Christ and his ministry, most, if not all, at least most of his persecution came from people within the religious establishment. And so um, when people first come to faith in Christ or when people are on this journey of sanctification, um, there is going to always be water tossed on zeal. When you mm-hmm. see people that are on fire for the Lord, when you f- see people that are zealous for looking like Christ, um, it's going to be people around them. It's going to be people in their family. It's going to be friends. It's going to be people in the church. That uh, Because what we do is we like to look to others and compare ourselves to other people because it's a lot harder to look to Christ and say, okay, this is my standard of righteousness. This is mm-hmm. my standard of living. Um, it's easier for me to look at Jim Bob next to me. And I'm like, man, Jim Bob, he's a horrible husband. He's a bad dad. He's a, you know, this and that. Right. So at least I'm doing better than him. Um, but when we look to Christ, we're like, okay, here's all the areas yeah. I need to fix. But the problem is when I'm looking at Jim Bob and I'm like, yeah, I'm doing better than Jim Bob, but then Jim Bob is passionate about the Lord and he's growing in his walk with Christ. And I see zeal. Uh, it's easier for me to throw water on what Jim Bob's doing mm-hmm. than it is for me to look to Christ and start living as Christ has called me to. Um, so in the fireplace room, you've got that. There's going to always be people that are tossing water on zeal, but the Holy Spirit provides the oil. Um, and I'm reminded of Romans 12 too, <clears throat> where the call is not to be transformed or not to be conformed to the, the image of this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. As we're in God's word, he is through his Holy Spirit continually pouring oil on our fire, uh, continue, continually point, pouring oil on the zeal that we have for him, the passion to follow him. And uh, so while the things of this world are trying to douse the flames that he's created in us, his Holy Spirit is just continually pouring oil and allowing those flames to grow bigger and bigger. And yeah. so um, it's really cool. I, I enjoy that. Mm-hmm. All right, room five. And I promise I'm going to let you speak. No, you I'm get. just trying to get through. Uh, room five, you've got the castle. Um, you see this castle, and there's this knight <clears throat> in armor in front of it, and he's having, like, this joust. Like, there's this battle scene that's going on. And um, and and that is representative of the Christian life is a battle, kind of what we talked about in the beginning. Um and you think of passages like putting on the whole armor of God, you know, uh, Bunyan's pulling from that. Uh, in fact, one of the Puritan battle cries of his day was he who suffers conquers. And um, Acts 14.22 says, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations, we must endure the kingdom of God. 
Um, and so just that, that idea of he who suffers conquers, we're engaged in this battle. The Christian walk is not just this easy road, but it's a, a, a road that leaves, it leads us through the valleys. Um, there's going to be shadows of doubt. There's going to be, uh, enemies and all of these things, but we fear no evil for he is with us. You know, Mm -hmm. he has given us the armor. He has given us the sword of the spirit to keep us safe and he's going before us. And so our call is to follow him through whatever battles he takes us through. And um, really that's something that the American church needs to rekindle is uh, that understanding that um, he who suffers conquers and um, we are engaged in a battle and we need to be battling not for our sake, but for the sake of the kingdom. Um, following Christ and, um, putting on that whole armor of God, knowing that we are engaged in battle. Most people, they don't even think about being in a battle and they just kind of live their life as they want to live it. You know? So then we come to the sixth room, the man in the iron cage. And as I said, this is, um, so I'll kind of start out with this. So, uh, Bunyan describes the man in the iron cage as a once fair and flourishing professor of the faith. And this kind of gets into your question and I'm just going to kind of answer it. Um, and then if you have more questions or things you want to expound on, then Mm -hmm. let's go back and let's, let's talk through it. So you've got this once fair and flourishing professor of the faith and, uh, Bunyan is directly pulling from Hebrews six and Hebrews 10. I started off reading Hebrews six, um, but I'm going to read Hebrews six again. And then I'm also going to read the, a similar passage in Hebrews 10. So Hebrews 6, um, verses 4 through 6 say this, For it is impossible in the case of those who have been enlightened and who have tasted of the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted of the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. For the land that has drunk of the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing of God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed, and its end is to be burned. And then Hebrews 10, 26 through 31. Likewise says... See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase yet once more indicates the removal of things that are shaken. That is the things that have been made in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus let us offer, no, I'm reading the wrong passage. Sorry. Um, That's a really good passage. Yeah. (laughs) But that's the wrong one. That was Hebrews 12. Um, All right, here we go. Right passage. Hebrews 10, starting in verse 26. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, therefore no longer remains a sacrifice for sin. But a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury, uh, a fire that will consume the adversary. 
Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved for the one who has spurned the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the spirit of grace? For we know him who says, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, and again the Lord will judge his people it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So, um, Hebrews 6 and Hebrews 10 uh, talk of this once enlightened person who has tasted of the heavenly fruits, right? You've got this person who has tasted, this person who has, um, there's been this illumination. It's this person that has seen that Christ is the word made flesh. There's this person who has seen that what God's word says is true. They've experienced him moving in people. They felt this, um, this understanding of knowing that what the Bible says is true. Um, it's, it's most people in churches today, right? Like they've gone, they've heard, they've seen, but then they've rejected. And, and what Hebrews is saying is they've now crucified Jesus again. He's come, he's died for you. You've seen that, you've heard that, you understand that, and yet you've crucified him again. He's not coming back a second time. He's not coming back a second time to be a ransom. He's coming back a second time in all power and all authority to judge, you know? And so um, if you have now crucified him again, there's no more hope. You know what I mean? And um, so kind of getting into the interaction between Christian and this man in the iron cage, Christian asks him, he says, what are you now? And the man responds and he says, I am now a man of despair and cannot get out of this cage. Uh, Christian asks him, how did you get here? And he says, I left here to watch. I laid the reins upon the neck of my lusts. I sinned against the light of the word and the goodness of God. I have tempted the devil and he has come for me with full force. Christian asks him, is there no hope for you? The man says, no, none at all. I have crucified the son afresh. I have despised his person and shut myself out of all of his promises. Christian asks, why did you do so? And his response is for the momentary lusts, pleasures and profits of this world and for my own temporary selfish delight. Uh, so what we see in the man in the iron cage is this jarring and this alarming need to persevere to the end. You know, um, you, we come by faith alone. We come through grace alone. We come in Christ alone, but then we must persevere. There's a call to perseverance, you know, and um, so uh, faith must produce action if it is true living faith, you know, thinking of like James or thinking of different passages, you've got living faith and you've got dead faith. And those that have dead faith, who are the demons, they believe that God is who he says he is. Mm. They believe that Jesus is the son of God, but that belief has not transformed their actions, their mind, their hearts, anything. It's just this knowledge, you know, they've tasted, they've seen. Um, look at the demons, look at Satan himself. 
they saw God in all of his glory in heaven and yet still, right. you know, turned away. Um, and, and, and so that's what we're seeing here. So the call of the man in the iron mask, what you're seeing is don't be like Judas, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, when I came to faith in Christ at 23, uh, we, we've kind of talked about my testimony different points in times, but at, at 23, uh, the guy that was preaching was preaching on Judas that day. And, um, what he was saying was, you know, Judas had fooled everybody else. He was there with Christ. He was doing the things that everybody was doing. He had seen Jesus moving and working. He had been a part of all of that. He had been a part of Jesus personally teaching him for three years. And, um, and then, you know, when Jesus said, one of you is going to betray me, like he had everybody else fooled. Nobody Mm. said, oh yeah, it's obviously Judas. You know, they all said, is it me, Lord? Like, am I going to betray you? Um, because Judas had fooled everybody, but Christ saw his heart. And that day is when I realized that like, that was the life I was living. I was fooling other people, but Christ knew my heart and he knew my sin and he knew the depths of my despair. Um, and, and I realized, um, you know, that all I have is Christ. You know, I can try to do all these things in my own strength. I can fool other people. I can make people think this and that, but ultimately all I have is Christ, you know? And, and, um, so, but that's, that's what we see here. Um, Dr. Martin Lloyd Jones, who is an, was an English pastor. Um, I love Dr. Martin Lloyd Jones. And so, uh, if you ever want to read a good book, read one of his or listen to some of his old sermons, but, um, he said, I can say definitely there are no more passages that cause fear than Hebrews 6 and Hebrews 10. Um, so what Bunyan is showing us here is that this man in the iron cage is held up as a sobering warning sign. Uh, he's saying, remember Lot's wife, remember mm-hmm. Judas, remember the man in the iron cage. You know, so uh, if I'm driving down a road and I see uh, I'm, I'm in Colorado, riding down the road, and I see a sign that says, beware of falling rocks. Um, It's not telling me that I'm going to get hit by a rock and die, but it's telling me to watch out because this is something that can happen. There have been people who have been hit by rocks and taken off of their path. Um, And and that's what the man in the iron cage, that's what Hebrews 6, that's what Hebrews 10 is. It's this warning sign to persevere, you know, Mm -hmm. which is why in um, 2 Peter Paul tells us, or Peter tells us to, um, to, to, to strive to make our calling and election sure, you know? And, and that's, that's what the man in the iron mask or the man in the iron cage, um, or Hebrews six or Hebrews 10 is it's this, this warning to, to call, um, to make sure our calling and our election are secure in Christ. Um, how do we do that? by faith, right? Um, what separated the man in the iron cage and Christian is that Christian's still following after Christ. You Mm -hmm. know, this man in the iron cage, what he did, um, he had tasted, he had seen the, the Hebrew six person, the Hebrews 10 person they've tasted and they've seen, but then they've chose selfishness and sinfulness, uh, instead of following after Christ. And, um, so, um, 
I'm going to kind of talk about the next room, which kind of helps clarify this room too. The last room, um, there's this man that's uh, in bed and he has had this dream and he wakes up terrified and um, he's rising out of bed in fear of being left behind on the day of judgment. Hmm. And um, so this isn't like the book left behind or the movies left behind where he wakes up and people have just vanished. This is, um, he, he understands that there is this day of judgment coming. Christ is returning to judge the world. And, um, and, and he's fearful that, that he has not done enough on this day of judgment. Right. Um, there's, there's this uneasiness of where he's at with Christ. There's this uneasiness because of sin in his life. And, um, what we need to understand, and I think what Pilgrim's Progress kind of helps us see, is that there are two roads, and there's only two roads. Um, one leads to the eternal city, and the other, a fearful road, it leads to God's judgment. Um, one thing that I've always said is that heaven is God's presence, and hell is hell because it's the absence of God. Hmm. Um, I. I need to amend that statement. Uh, something R.C. Sproul said that really resonates here, uh, but also just um, makes a lot more sense. He said, hell is not a separation of God. Um, if you understand God to be omnipresent, like God is everywhere, right? But hell is not a separation of God. It is the presence of his judgment. And um, and that is ultimately what makes hell, hell. You know, mm-hmm. um, God's, Love, God's grace, God's mercy is constantly poured out for those in heaven in his presence. But then those that are in hell, his presence is there also, but it's his eternal judgment and punishment on those that have turned their back on Christ, mm-hmm. you know? And um, and so that's what this guy is fearful of. Um, but what gives us hope, what gives us confidence, what gives us assurance in our faith is um, is that we understand that there are two roads, right? Christ is one road and then anything else is another. Um, one thing that I was thinking about is like when you have a person, one thing that we cannot do is move in two different directions at the same time, right? right? Like you're either going one way or you're going another way. But what a lot of people in our current culture have said is that, okay, um, I see that Christ is like Christ is God. Christ is good. Christ is loving. Christ is the way to heaven. And I want that. And so I am a Christian. I'm pursuing Christ, but I also really want a good job. And I also really want to date this person because for whatever reason it might be like this person, they're not a Christian. They're not, you know, but this person would build my status. This person would provide for me. This person meets a, a physical desire, this per whatever it is, right? Like mm-hmm. I know that God's calling me over here, but I really want to make this work. Or I really want this job, even though it's, it's, it's calling me to somewhere where there's, you know, I, I know I shouldn't be there doing right. that, but I really want it. Um, and so what people try to do now is they say, okay, I'm pursuing Christ, but I'm also pursuing these things. Mm-hmm. But if we understand that you can't go in two directions, there's two roads 
and both roads lead complete opposite directions, right? Like Pilgrim, he's either headed back to the city of destruction or he's headed to the celestial city. He can't do both because they're not going on the same way. They're going, I'm either walking closer to one and by me doing that, it's pulling me further away from the other or vice versa, you mm -hmm. know? So um, there are two roads. One leads to eternal city. The other leads to um, God's eternal judgment. And, and so, but like going back to the man in the iron cage, he saw, he experienced, he tasted these things and then still chose to put Christ back on the cross and chase after what he wanted to chase after. Right. That's why he talks about, I, I laid the reins of my lust on the neck of the horse. Like I completely gave control to the horse of my lust and let mm -hmm. it take me wherever it wanted to take me. You know, there was no repentance. There was no remorse. There was no turning of sin. Um, yes, I saw, yes, I experienced, yes, I tasted, but I did not fully consume right. and let it change me. You know, um, I was in, I was enlightened. I saw this glimmer of hope and light, but I wasn't fully enveloped in the light of who Christ is. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Um, and, and that's what James is talking about when he's talking about living faith and dead faith. And so the question's not if I was saved, I'm always saved. The, 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 the biblical statement is if you were, uh, <clears throat> sorry, <clears throat> most people say once saved, always saved. Right. right. Um, but that's, that's not what the Bible teaches us. The Bible teaches us if you are truly saved, you'll always be saved. Right. And we know that by perseverance, right? We know that by the things that we do. So we're not saved by works. We're completely saved by faith alone in Christ alone, through grace alone, um, by grace through faith in Christ. Um, mm -hmm. But then comes perseverance. And perseverance is is that thing that gives us hope because we now see Christ moving and working in us and he is shaping us and he is molding us and we're no longer being conformed to this world because his Holy Spirit is inside of us. He's made us a new creation and he's now producing spiritual fruit in us that we couldn't produce on our own. Right. You know, and that's how I know that I'm in Christ because I'm following him because I'm obeying him. So like if you read James, um, if you read first John, if you read all these things, like how do I know that I'm in Christ, that I obey and follow him? Mm -hmm. If I'm following Christ, he's taking me to the celestial city. If I'm following idolatry, uh, if I'm seeking after my own desire, if I'm seeking after the things of this world, it's taking me back to the city of destruction. Yeah. You can't go both directions. You're going one way or the other. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, and then you got this man in the iron cage who he's committed the unpardonable sin in that he saw the goodness of God. He saw, he tasted, he experienced, and then yet still chose to crucify Christ a second time. Yeah. And he's not coming back anymore. He's now only coming back in judgment. It's just like Pharaoh, you know, Pharaoh, right. his heart was hardened, but he's hardening his own heart as well, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and, and so that's what Hebrews six, that's what Hebrews 10, that's what the man in the iron cage, that's what Judas, there are all these warning signs to persevere. Mm -hmm. Um, so like my kids, um, they obey me because they're my children, but every once in a while they there's no, I'm going to do this cause I want to do it. Right. And then I don't just spank them. you right. Um, I will. 
I will warn them. You know, mm-hmm. now there are things that I will spank them if they disobey me, if they disrespect their mother, or if um, if they tell a lie, they'll get a spanking. Mm-hmm. Um, then those are like hard rules. But if they're doing something that I've not told them to do, uh, to not do, like Judah just you know goes into the fireplace and starts pulling rocks out. I'm not just going to go spank him. I'm going to tell him, listen, do not do that. Yeah. Uh, and then if he disobeys me, he's going to get a spanking. But like, I'm going to give him that warning, you mm-hmm. know? And then because he's my child and because I've been pouring into and raising him, um, I'm hoping that he makes that right decision. If not, I'm going to continue to, um, then I'm going to, I'm going to spank him because mm-hmm. I love him and I want to see him do as he needs to do, which is what God does with his children, you know, but somebody that God's not chastising and he's just allowed them to do their own thing. That's because they're not his children. You know, the Bible says those are bastard kids Mm -hmm. and God only punishes and chastises those that he loves, those that are his kids, you know? And so there's this call for perseverance of the saints all through scripture and that's what John Bunyan's dealing with, with that. So, yeah, what you got? Well, I think the thing that, that confused me with it is um, him saying that he professed to be a Christian. And it was like, okay, well, that doesn't necessarily mean he was. But then it's like, you know, he was been enlightened. He had seen, yeah. he had tasted all that stuff. And it was like, well, huh. Well, I would you say know. look at the current culture that we're in, mm-hmm. you know, like, you don't have to look very far to find somebody who professes to be a Christian and goes right. to church that is in a open homosexual lifestyle. Right. You know what I mean? So um, I identify with my sin of homosexuality. Like that's who I am. That's my identity. Um, but I also confess for my identity to be in Christ as a Christian. Right. Right. Um, and, and so you've got somebody that's confessing somebody that, believes the Bible to be true, just not enough to change their true identity to be only in him. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, it would be like me saying I'm a pedophile, but I'm a Christian. Right. You know, I identify with this sin of pedophilia, um, but I'm still a Christian. Do I act on it? Well, I do because I'm a pedophile, but right. I'm also a Christian. Well, you can't be both. Right. You know, you're either identifying with your sin or you're identifying with Christ who cleanses us of sin and we repent of that sin. Now, can I be somebody who I've had same sex attractions, but I'm constantly repenting of that desire and I'm not acting on that? Well, yeah, just like any other sin, you know, Mm -hmm. um, is it still sin? Yes. But right. can I repent of that? And it's under the cross and it's under the forgiveness of Christ. And he's continually making me in his image. Yes. But I'm not identifying as a gay Christian at that point. Right. I'm identifying as a Christian that struggles with sinful thoughts, but then Christ is helping me conquer those thoughts and desires. Yeah. You know? And I think, I think the key too is like, cause one of the, one of the questions that I think, you know, kind of has been answered in my mind is, well, you know, um, I guess this will be my thought, and then I do have another actual question. Um, But, um, you know, the idea of, okay, I'm a Christian. I've walked with Christ. I have have seen Christ working in my life, and I know my election to be sure because of the fruits that I'm bearing that I cannot bear. The reason why we have hope in that, the reason why that brings um, rest to our souls is because 
we, what we don't have to do necessarily is fear that one day along the line, we won't do that right? because we're not the ones who got us that to that point yes. in the first place. You know what I mean? And that's why um, we got to understand salvation is by faith, right? By, by grace, by God's grace alone through faith in Christ. Like I feel like right? some genuine Christians might read that and be like, man, I hope I don't become the man in the iron cage one day. And it's like, well, right. no, because well, then I don't have a proper understanding. Right. Of yeah. What salvation actually is. Right. You know? Um, well, the, then the other question is, well, then why is there a warning sign at all anyway? Right. You know, um, because God's loving. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but like, yeah, I, it, it's, um, I forgot what I was going to say, but the other day uh, I had somebody that was talking to me about all this and, um, but like, that's, that's why this is all here. Yeah. It's, it's this, um warning sign yeah to allow us to continue in christ now my question would be um okay so like with your testimony for example yeah you your testimony i don't think is something that is rare in the sense of you know you, you talk about how you you would you won't come down the aisle you would profess faith yes. in christ and you do that over and over again growing up and then but it wasn't until you were actually in your early 20s that you actually got saved and went from death to life and, right. and was made a new creation. Right. Yeah. Um, what's the difference between a person who's doing that where they're, they're, uh, I mean, I guess the difference would be one is elect and the other not, but I mean, like you say, you've got a person who's in church walking down the aisle and doing all that stuff. Um, you know, but eventually it does stick. The, the, the now the person has, has seen the light, the person has heard the gospel and then and then gone and and rejected that for a period of time. Mm-hmm. You know? Which would be room seven. That'd be the seventh room. Room seven. So that okay. So the seventh room of the interpreter's house, the man that's fearful. Yes. Right? So the question is, can that person in room seven be a Christian? So yeah, I guess what's the difference between room seven and yeah. room six? What's the difference between the guy in room seven and room six? You know what I mean? So this question was asked to me. Uh, yeah. Exactly. Can can the person in room seven be a Christian? What keeps, you know, or do they just become the man in the iron cage? Um, and the answer is, if the warning signs, if I take heed and I follow them, I get to where I'm going, yeah. which is a celestial city. If I see the warning signs and I blow through it. So like if I see a sign when I'm driving around the North Georgia mountains and I see a sign that says sharp curve ahead, and I slow down and I, I heed the warning of the sign mm-hmm. and then I make it to where I'm going. Right. But if I see the sign that says sharp curve ahead and I'm like, you know what? I'm 19 years old. I'm on this brand new motorcycle. Like I'm the man. Yeah. I'm going to gun it. Right. And then I go right through the barricade and off the side of the mountain and die. It's because I didn't heed the signs warning. Right. right? Um, because I did what I wanted to do. So you can be a prodigal son, mm. right? Um, there are people, so uh, like, let's, let's use our current culture, right? You've got two people. Um, you've got me who I grew up, uh, in church, but I lived for myself in the world. Um, all through high school into the military, in the military, I completely turned my back on God. 
um, I said, I can't do this salvation thing. Can't figure it out. So instead of being a hypocrite, I'm just going to completely full tilt, do whatever I want to do. And through that, God continued to pursue me. Right. Right. Um, to the point that instead of being in the military, like I wanted to do and retiring, um, after four years, I had to get out and I had to get in church. And that's all I did for my first year out of the military. I'm in church anytime it's open. I'm in the word. I'm journaling. I'm trying to figure out why can't I get saved? What's going on? You yeah. know what I mean? Um, and so you've got that person. And then the, uh, the second person in this scenario, um, they grow up in youth group. They hear the gospel, right? They've gone to a summer camp and they came down to the aisle crying and there's this big emotional response. And then they go back home and two months later, not reading my Bible. I'm not seeking after the Lord. Mm-hmm. Uh, I go to church cause my parents make me, but like I have no relationship with Christ. Right. Yeah. Um, I can look back to this emotional response that I had at summer camp and say, yep, I'm saved because I went down the aisle crying. Um, but now here I am, I'm, I'm a senior, I graduate, I go to college and now I never go to church anymore. Right. Yeah. I, I'm out of my parents' house. I don't I no longer have to go to church, so I'm not going, right? right. Uh, I've made my choices, even though I had this emotional response. Uh, there's no perseverance. I didn't heed the warning signs, Yeah. right? Whereas me, um, I'm trying to get say, you know, I'm walking out saying the prayer, having these emotional responses, but nothing's changing because uh, I'm still self-worshipped and I'm still blinded by my own self-worship, mm-hmm. right? Um but God continues to pursue me and he continues to put warning signs and through his grace, I'm saved by grace through faith, right? Mm-hmm. By his grace, I heed the warning signs and I get out of the military. I could have not got out. I could have stayed in. And if I'd have got killed in Afghanistan or Iraq, I'd have died and gone to hell, you know, but through God's grace and through his mercy, I heeded the warning signs. I got out and the Lord saved me, mm-hmm. you know? And so um, I guess the answer to your question is if I persevere, I'm in him, right? you know, and the assurance of salvation comes through the perseverance, mm-hmm. you know, um, it, it comes through me following him and, and me following him comes by me reading his word and, and obeying what he's saying, yeah. you know? Um, so like there are going to be, and as you continue in Pilgrim's progress, after Pilgrim leaves the interpreter's house, he continues on the way, but he still goes through all these things. Right. He's distracted by things. He gets off the path of where he shouldn't be, but he continues to persevere through. He ends up going through Vanity Fair and gets arrested there, and but he continues to persevere through trial, through tribulation, through all these things because he's looking to Christ who is the author and finisher of his faith and the Holy spirit is continually pouring oil. Even though all these things are throwing water on the fire. If there's no Holy spirit pouring oil on the fire, the fire goes out. That zeal has gone. Right. I can't manufacture the zeal myself. I can't initially, right. I mean, Oh, this is cool. This makes sense. I'm going to, I'm going to manufacture this zeal, but it's, I mean, it's the, it's the rock that falls on the stony place. Mm -hmm. Right. Like you've got the, I mean, it's the seed the that seed, falls yeah. on, on, on the stony place. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got the, the pastor that's casting out the word, right. 
and he's just throwing out the gospel and these seeds are landing. The one that lands on the rocky place, its roots are shallow and it's plucked away, right? Mm -hmm. Or as soon as the sun comes, it scorches it up. And because it doesn't have deep roots, it it withers away and dies. And he said, like it grows initially fast, right? you know, like it's almost like a weed. Yeah, shoots up, but it has no depth. It has no root in Christ. And so therefore the first trial that comes, it's the house built on the shifting sand. The Mm. first trial that comes completely demolishes it. You know, and so um, that's what we're seeing here. So the the takeaway for us, the takeaway for our culture is we need to be rooted deep in the gospel, right? Like I don't just go to church because my parents grew up going to church. I don't just believe the Bible because my pastor teaches me this is the word of God, right? Mm -hmm. Like I get in the word and I have a relationship with Christ because like when I came to that point, All I have is Christ. Right. Like that is the rock I cling to. Right. You know, but that's enough because that is the the treasure that I could never afford. You know, that is everything. It's life. It's hope. It's happiness. It's joy. Um, It's a tower that we can run to in tribulation, you know, Um, and that's what Christian gets. And that's what the, uh, the man in the iron cage saw a glimpse of, but still chose to chase after his sin instead of following Christ. Yeah. You know, so God can warn us. There can be the prodigal son, but if he never comes to the realization that I'm in the pig pen and I had it way better off, even the servants at my father's house have it better off than where I'm at now. I need to leave where I'm at and go back to my father's house. If we never have that realization, then we were never truly saved in the first place. Right. You know? Yeah. Which is why Hebrews 6 says, if the land that's been cultivated produces a crop, it's to be blessed. Mm-hmm. But if it doesn't, all it produces is thorns and thistles. It's to be gathered and its end is to be burned. Yeah. So if I'm in church and I'm going to church regularly and all I'm producing is thorns and thistles, then my end is to be burned. Because if God has made me a new creation, he's now made me an apple tree. If I'm still producing bananas, I'm not an apple tree. Right. You know? Those who abide in Christ are the attached to the vine, you know, and he will produce fruit through them. If I'm not attached to Christ, then I'm, I'm to be cut off. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, uh, but that's our call. So like all of us need to work out our own salvation in fear and trembling, mm-hmm. you know, and the way that we do that is we don't just look to a date that we were saved, but we look at from the point of my salvation to now. What has Christ been doing in me through his Holy Spirit? Right. You know, am I following after him? Even though I might be getting lost, I might be getting off trail, I might be getting off track. Um, is Christ through his word continually guiding me back to him? Or am I chasing after my own things? And if I'm chasing after my own things, then I need to go and repent to Christ before I no longer have a desire to repent. Right. You know? Yeah. So, yeah, that's but, good. No, I like the, I like the, I think the book really, um, too, like one point Christian is, is it's after this and, and he's getting distracted or someone has come up to him and trying to talk him out of doing what he's doing. I think he's, he's, it's when he's about to go into the valley of the shadow of death and you've got, and they say there's an easier 
trail. Well, and they're like, yeah, yeah, they do. And then he's like, you know, no, there's not. <laughs> yeah. He's like, this is the only way. Yes. And I'm just going to have to go through it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's, that's just, there's no other option. Right. You know, and, and, um, I think that is something, that's a thought that I think a lot of us need to kind of return to is, is like just the idea that, you know, cry, it's either Christ or chaos, really. I right. mean, you, you, that's it. You yeah. know, I think, I don't know why, but this comes to mind when we were, you know, talking about Georgia and stuff. So Georgia's quarterback gave a, gave a, uh, interview afterwards and, and I don't know, it was before. And it was Tim Tebow was given the interview, and you know yeah. anyone who knows that knows Tim Tebow is this big game guy. He, he performed really well in big games, and so he's asking him. He's like, "Now, what is your secret to performing well in big games?" And Georgia's quarterback Stetson Bennett was like, "There's no other option. You know, right. <laughs> like you either do or you don't, and right. you can't not. So yeah. you just have to do it. You know." Yeah. And I thought that was really helpful. It kind of went back to to that as far as you know, what you were saying, you, you can't go in two directions. Um, there is one path, there is a narrow path set before us, um, that we are to persevere on and there is no other option for those who are in Christ. And like you think of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, right? Right. Like they could have chose the easier path, which was bowing down before Baal, Right. you know, they could have done that. Everybody else did, but Mm -hmm. they didn't. And that led them into the fiery furnace. Right. But what we've got to understand as Christians is they weren't alone. Like Christ was there with them. Yeah. And they escaped. Daniel's thrown into the lion's den. Like he could have not prayed, mm-hmm. but he's following the path that Christ has put before him. Right. And and he's faithful to do that. And then they're, but we're following the one that shuts the mouths of the lion. We're mm-hmm. following the one that allows fire not to consume us because he's the creator of all things, you know, and what he's called us to, he's going to equip us to do. And then we've got to, at some point, we've got to understand what Paul means when he says to live as Christ, to die as gain. Right. You know, like we are more than conquerors. We either live and conquer on this earth or the Lord takes us to be with him and we gain everything. Right. We can't lose. You know, right. and so at some point the church has to start living as more than conquerors. Yeah, we need to quit being defeated by all these things we see, and what you've got is you've got the vast army that's running from the few men, which is a sign of God's judgment on people. Mm-hmm. But the church should not be doing that. We should stand up to the culture, and we need to to understand that we are in battle, not for a political party or for a a a gender or for, um, a talking point on Fox or CNN, but we're in a a battle for the gospel, you know, but we've already been made more than conquerors. And so we need to start acting like it, you know, basically uh, an example I used not too long ago. If I said, you know, um, if I go to a high schooler that's on the baseball team and I say in 10 years, you're going to be the outfielder for the Braves and you're going to catch the game winning out in the seventh, uh, seventh game mm-hmm. of the World Series. Um, that, if he believes that, that's going to change his trajectory moving forward. He's going to work harder. He's going to try harder. He's going to spend more time devoting himself to baseball 
because he knows that this end is going to happen, right? Um, that's what Christ has done through his word to us. He said, mm-hmm. I am victorious and I'm going to use you as my means of victory. Now start acting that way. Right. And if we believe it, we're going to start acting that way. If we don't believe it, then we're not going to act that way and right. we won't be a part of it, you know? Yeah. So, um, but well, I hope that this episode has been helpful for you. Uh, I would recommend everybody go grab the book, read it. Uh, it's a great book and maybe we can have some more conversations on the Pilgrim's Progress as, um, this year goes on. So, well, if you're still here, we love you and we hope that you are persevering in your faith in Christ. If not, reach out to your pastor, reach out to the elders at your church, um, send us a message. We'll help in any way that we can. We love you guys. Have a good Lord's Day, and we will see you next week. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye-bye.